just because David prayed for the destruction of his enemies does not mean we should. If you look at the whole story and look at it in context, you can clearly see there are very negative consequences for that person doing that thing. And it's clear that it's a warning rather than permission to do it. But it always says this is what happened. Nothing in scripture says this is what should happen every time. Welcome to Living Beyond Your Memes, where we try to help Christians get beyond talking points and pat answers and engage the world around us the way Jesus did. I'm your host, Brian LaCroix, and I'm joined by my good friend, Josh Latterell. In this episode, we're talking about descriptive versus prescriptive scripture. I see. And we've arrived at the answer to life, the universe, and everything. We have. 42. 42. Yes, yes. So, welcome. Welcome. I'm, so, we don't even need to do the podcast anymore. because nope, we've answered. We've answered the questions. The right? question. So. <laughs> the ultimate question. Indeed, we have. So, oh, well. So, hopefully, we'll be able to, uh, everybody will be able to take that and go on and live like Jesus did and talk to everybody the way he did and never have another question the rest of their lives. Yes. I think that's exactly what they're going to do after this podcast. Sounds good. Okay. What have you been up to? Uh, not a lot. Just um, working and uh, preaching. I've been preaching a lot at my church lately. Uh, my pastor is on sabbatical, so I've been filling in. This coming Sunday um, is my last Sunday uh, for that. And uh, it seems like I have another preaching engagement in a few weeks, but we'll see. But in the meantime, I'm just preparing for the fact that my Daughter and her family are coming, so I'm going to get to see my grandkids for the first time in a while, and they're going to be here for a week and a half, two weeks or so, and I'm excited. So, cool, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a good time. So, how about for you? I uh, got a couple of family trips planned, which I'm looking forward to. Nice, and also making a little more progress on that uh, John Eldridge book. Oh yeah, Resilient. Mm-hmm. So, getting a little further into that, and I'm. Learning some good stuff. I'm excited to share it when I good. get, you know. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing about that. Um, I've been just slow. Well, I restarted that book, Compassion and Conviction, uh, by the AND Project. And I tell you what, I'm only, uh, what's the word? You know, when, when you have somebody else do the, is it the preface? When somebody else does the intro to the book, you know, to say you should read this book. Is it the preface or, it, or the introduction? I'm or the, not sure. Whatever it is. Anyway. The thing at the front of the book that somebody else writes. Right. Correct. So I knew there was a technical term for Mm -hmm. that somewhere. I think that's what it is. I think it is. Yeah. And uh, just that alone was great. Just, you know, she said, you know, all Christians are political. Um, Or maybe that was the first line of the preface. (laughs) I don't know. The introduction, whatever. But um, it's very Christ-centered. Just, I mean, the, the preface, the introduction, and the first chapter are all solidly biblical things. And I'm really impressed. It's going to be a good read for me. And I find that even just what I've read so far is very affirming to where the Lord has been laying on my heart for the last two, three years. So I'm really looking forward to uh, wading through this book. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to be challenged a lot, um, which is going to be great because you need to grow in these things. So just having a blast. I'm just trying to work my way through that right now. So the first chapter is talking a lot about the biblical emphasis on justice. And um, I think the reason that's a little harder for me is just because um, we're in a, uh, maybe a politically in a part of the country where uh, 
if we start talking about social justice, people automatically think of uh, Black Lives Matter and or or radical things. A very specific view of what that means right. from a very specific corner of the political spectrum. Right. Yeah. But the Bible is filled with justice uh, and and God's admonitions to justice and to treat people well and to love them well and to be neighborly, to advocate for people who are being taken advantage of or harmed. So getting that through my through my brain here is going to be good. And so when I discuss these things with people, it's going to be challenging for me to communicate those in ways that get people's minds past that, you know, those specific things that, that uh, many of my conservative friends would run to immediately. Get people you know? past their, their triggers or their yeah. sort of automatic knee-jerk reactions to this right. or that yep. word or phrase or topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're the same kind of things that I would have had earlier in my life, maybe even five, six years ago. And so thankfully the Lord has helped me to grow through some of that. I'm hoping I can help other Christians grow through that as well. So Andy, loving that. Cool. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And those are available online for anybody who wants to check them out or will uh, be. Absolutely. I yeah. got those, uh, that book I got from Amazon. I'm reading it on my Kindle. So loving it. So, Sweet. Yeah. I, I would highly recommend it. Compassion and Conviction. Uh, if you just uh, search by the title, it's by the AND Project. I think there's three different authors involved with that. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll go look for that too. Sounds cool. So what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about descriptive versus prescriptive scripture. And the reason we're going to talk about that, and we'll talk about what that difference is here in a minute, is that in my experience, both as a pastor and just as a Christian, you hear people quoting scripture that by itself sounds just fine. you know. But when you look at the context of it, or look at what was happening around it, or you look at what was actually happening at the moment that was spoken, you realize, uh, no, that's not what that's talking about at all. So one of the things I hear Christians say a lot, especially when trying to justify something, is, well, look what David did, or, or Paul, or, of course, even Jesus. The idea is that because someone in the Bible did something, then it's okay for us to do it. Maybe even uh, that's what we should do, even if it comes across or could come across as mean or hateful. Uh, and even if it seems to contradict a command or a teaching of Scripture. I've seen it taken out of context in other ways, too, by someone who is trying to make a Christian look dumb by saying, look, yes. this this is in the Bible. What about mm-hmm. that? Explain that to me. Like, right. oh, yes. you believe in the Bible. Well, in the Bible, these people did these things. Yeah. Does that How much mean- would you sell your daughter for? Yeah. Yeah. Slavery is in the Bible. Does the Bible condone slavery? Explain that, Christian. Yeah. Yes. And thankfully, there are great explanations for all of that. There are. But, um, (laughs) you know, your average person isn't necessarily prepared to answer that question. Like, well, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And related to that, if a certain event happened in Scripture, then then that should be the normative in present experience. So here's the difference. One says, what did happen? That's the descriptive scripture. The other says, what should or will happen or a command to follow. That's prescriptive. You know, think of it as a prescription. This is what you are to do. So here are four examples of descriptive passages used as prescriptive. First one, David praying for the destruction of his enemies. He did that a lot. And, uh, 
I was just reading, uh, listening to a devotional by Sky Chitani the other day, and and he describes that, you know, how David's like, man, Lord, wipe these people off the face of the earth. Come on. You know, that's one. Number two, and this is one I hear discussed a lot, Jesus clearing the temple, which he actually did twice. Mm-hmm. Number three, the disciples speaking in tongues at Pentecost. That one's not necessarily like in a political sense, but just it's something that I hear used a lot uh, when trying to discuss or even persuade me of a certain theological viewpoint. And number four, Paul rebuking Peter in public in Galatians 2. Interesting. Yeah, that one's always kind of caught me. So let's go back and discuss each of these. We're not going to go into a ton of detail in these, but I just kind of want to show how we have to be careful when we're using these kind of passages. So back to David praying for the destruction of his enemies. He did that. There's no question. You can't sugarcoat it. He is asking God to literally kill his enemies. But does that mean we should pray for that as well, for our enemies? No. It simply shows David's raw, honest emotions in a time of stress. I mean, the guy was constantly being chased and assassination attempts, and he was at war. I mean, it was a rough time. And in that same psalm, one of the, I can't remember if it's Psalm 34 or 35, in that same psalm where, where he starts off praying for the destruction of his enemies, he ends by praying for his enemies. Interesting. Yeah. So he understands that, yeah, I'm angry. This is me, God, speaking, but I understand that your will really is not that. So just because David prayed for the destruction of his enemies does not mean we should. David's, you know, often claimed to be a man after God's own heart, but David made some big, huge errors in judgment, sins. I mean, the guy took another man's wife, had the husband killed. I mean, there are many things about David to admire. There are plenty of things to not. So we got to be careful when we say that, you know, well, my model is David. Oh, boy, hope your wife's okay with that. Let's go to Jesus clearing the temple. Um, I mentioned just a minute ago that he did that twice, actually, and you can read about both of them in the Gospel of John. He does the first one in John chapter 2, and then he does the other one during what we call Holy Week, the last few days before his uh, crucifixion. And you've seen the memes, Josh, I know plenty of people have, where they they say, uh, you know, if you're asking what would Jesus do, remember that flipping tables is is a possibility. Right. But people don't seem to understand there is that neither of those episodes was uh, an impromptu impulsive act. Um, I didn't just get real angry and start to flip over tables because he was angry. Right. Yeah. Secondly, he was righteously angry and Christians have said to me, well, you know, we can show righteous anger. I'm like, um, we might be able to feel righteous anger. I'm not sure we're ever told to display righteous anger, but Jesus displayed it, but he did it thoughtfully and methodically. He knew it was going to get him in trouble, and uh, his authority was questioned because of it, and he was all prepared for that. So it wasn't he just got angry or something set him off, or he didn't take his Valium that day, and you know he blew a gasket. This was something that he planned. I think he went in knowing he was going to do these things. Mm-hmm. And there is a possibility he was doing it in a very specific prophetic way, that Jews would have understood Mm -hmm. that had to do with cleansing the temple or cleansing a house of disease and rot, Mm -hmm. and then coming back later to see if it had stayed clean or if it needed to be, if the house needed to be torn down. Yeah, very possibly. That's a great, that's a great point. So nothing in the, those episodes of Jesus clearing the temple 
gives us permission to do that. And so we got to be very careful. And another thing is Jesus was God. He had not just pure motives. <laughs> he had God pure motives. And God insight and right. understanding. Right. So we can never say that our motives are entirely pure. We just can't. We're fallible humans. And we can't say that we have the insight Jesus had. And so if we decide that we're going to be violent towards something or hostile or literally flip tables or whatever, um, I think we need to hold our, you know, consider who we, who we're holding our standard to there, if that made sense, and uh, realize that we fall way short. Maybe we shouldn't take that course of action because we're not God. <laughs> we're not Jesus. So anyway, so I would say steer clear of clearing the temples. Make that okay. make sense. Yep. Uh, this third one is just one that I've, um, a conversation I've had with many of my Pentecostal charismatic brethren and sister over the years. And it's the disciples speaking at tongues at Pentecost or other events in the book of Acts, like Paul getting bit by the snake toward the end of the book of Acts and not suffering any ill effects. Over the years, I've had a number of my Pentecostal friends who love me very dearly and want me to speak in tongues or um, have a prayer language. And for years, I was just very harsh toward anybody who would try to convince me of that. Interesting. Okay. I, I had a, a very ugly experience at a Pentecostal camp one weekend, and it hardened my heart for years toward anything Pentecostal, charismatic. I, for a little while, was part of a of the thinking that thought that all of that was actually demonic. And uh, thankfully, <laughs> that is not the case. The Lord has helped me grow up a little bit, and some of my best friends in the world are Pentecostals and charismatics. But I had a, a discussion one time with some coworkers at a uh, former job. And I asked them, you know, did they believe Billy Graham was filled with the Spirit? And they said, no. And I said, really? No? Because he didn't speak in tongues. And I'm like, okay, even though he exercised the gift of evangelism like nobody in the human history to that point, still? Nope. And I said, okay. Uh, but that got me to thinking in other times here that there is no question that the disciples at Pentecost spoke in other tongues. That's just happened. And it's a wonderful miracle of God. And thousands of people heard the gospel because of that. That was awesome. Uh, it happens in like two or three other times in the book of Acts. But it always says this is what happened. Nothing in scripture says this is what should happen every time. In fact, it's my opinion that it's recorded in the book of Acts because it was not common. And I might be wrong on that. I'm willing to be shown wrong. Yeah, that could but be another whole conversation or podcast, right, potentially, yeah. Right. But also, I want what God wants for me. I mean, a very wise man told me, he said, you know, I want every gift that God wants for me. Like, that is a good attitude. I think that's a mature view. So I said, Lord, if you want me to have the gift of tongues, I'm open to it. Then I want that. If you want me to have it, I want it. And for 40 years of being a believer, he has chosen not to give that to me. I, okay, I, I can handle that too. But I think that Christian maturity and Christian um, fullness being filled with the Spirit is shown by the fruit of the Spirit, not by the gifts of the Spirit. Because I can also point to people who can speak in tongues, but I wouldn't want to introduce to some of my friends. You don't necessarily display love and right. peace and mm -hmm. kindness and that sort yep. of thing. Yep, especially if they're immigrants. There's one or two and it's like, these people are so anti-immigrant, it's incredible. And uh, that is certainly not a, a Jesus attitude. 
and again, this is not meant to be anti-Pentecostal at all. Some of my best friends speak in tongues, and I don't. I, I do tell people that I do have a prayer language. It happens to be English, but, you know, then um, they just look at me and roll their eyes and know that I'm joshing them a little I'm bit. just shocked that it doesn't get a huge laugh every time. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I mean, you would think that would have them rolling on the floor. <laughs> but that's an issue where, an example where these things did happen in Scripture, but I can't find anything in Scripture that says that is what is supposed to happen as a normative thing. Especially when you're talking about something like Paul who got bit by a snake and mm -hmm. then nothing happened to him after that. Right. Um, and yeah, to, for that to be like the example of what Christians should be doing, handling snakes on a regular basis or something like right. that, right. that definitely seems like a stretch, although mm -hmm. there are churches and groups that have made sort of that as in some cases, the centerpiece or a major part of their worship services, for right, instance. Right. And, and a lot of people will get that from the last part of the Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. But yeah, or, you know, take other examples in the book of Acts, which nobody has said to me should be normative. Things like uh, Peter escaping the jail by the angel and walking out past the guards. Or Paul and Silas uh, being imprisoned and the earthquake comes and sets him free. They don't tell me that those things are normative and should happen every time a Christian goes to jail. Or what yeah. about uh, Ananias and Sapphira dropping oh, dead because heavens. they lied to the Holy Spirit? Right. Anyway, and I don't mean that critically necessarily against a whole thought. It, my point here is that this is just an example of when people use a descriptive passage of Scripture to be prescriptive. And I think that's dangerous for any part of Scripture, uh, but that's just one that I, I know most more about. And then the last example, Paul rebuking Peter in public. This is from Galatians chapter 2. And Paul is describing how there was a time when uh, he and Peter were meeting with a mixed group of believers, of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And Peter was a little bit afraid of the Jewish believers. And so he ate with them and refused to eat with the Gentile believers like Paul was. And Paul describes how he confronted Peter in very harsh type A personality language and how Peter realized his mistake. And uh, I'm thinking, well, are we supposed to scream at our brothers in front of other people all the time when they're wrong? Uh, there might be a place for that once in a while. Obviously, in this case. It have to be a pretty serious situation. Right. With some kind of immediate consequences if you didn't step up mm -hmm. and say something. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think there's, you know, most of the stuff that I have had to deal with over the years can be dealt with privately in writing and don't necessarily involve, I'm guessing, a very heated um, discussion for, with probably raised voices. What I read of Paul's personality from Scripture, I'm guessing this wasn't a whispered conversation in the corner. I think Paul probably let Peter have it. He was a pretty bold guy. Yes, he was. Yeah. Well, Peter was a pretty bold guy, too. So yes. he actually got these two pretty strong personalities. <laughs> right. Must right. have been an interesting scene. Right. And and Peter, you know, had before this episode had gone to Gentile believer or had shared the gospel with Roman centurion Cornelius in Acts 10, which is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And so I think Paul is saying, what are you doing? You already have a history of loving and bringing Jesus to the Gentiles. Not only that, but Jesus actually ministered to Gentile areas like mm -hmm. in the Decapolis, for instance. Those were Greek Roman cities um, where he cast out a demon. He 
preached, he sent his disciples to go preach in those cities too. And so Mm -hmm. they were aware in some sense that Gentiles were some kind of um, part of God's plan for salvation. Mm -hmm. They weren't sure exactly how. I think it took them a while to figure it out. Right. So it's understandable in some ways that where Peter would kind of be, you know, not entirely sure what was appropriate, but definitely Mm -hmm. acting out of fear, most likely, rather than faith. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. So those are just four examples. So if you want to use descriptive passages as prescriptive, at least focus on the model of Jesus. Even then, we need to be careful because with his cleansing of the temple, people have to understand that that was not his usual strategy. That was a twice thing. That thing happened twice. And there was a specific context for those. And as you and I have just discussed a little bit ago, um, this was not an impulsive act by any means. And so you can't just use that and think that that's just about beating up on people who disagree with you. And if you're using that episode to justify your so-called righteous anger, then you need to really make sure your anger is justified scripturally and that how you display it is also along scriptural guidelines. But back to the model of Jesus, if you want to use descriptive, how did he interact with sinners versus how he interacted with the religious folks who were supposed to have it all together? Night and day. He was harsh with the religious people, not the sinners, not the tax collectors, not the woman caught in adultery, not the Samaritan woman. And also, again, we talked about this before, that Jesus was God. you got to keep that in mind. His, his motives were always pure. His actions were always perfect in every occasion and circumstance. And we, on the other hand, are more flawed than we know and can't possibly accurately judge the motives of our hearts and actions perfectly. So, in my opinion, if there's any question, the commands of Scripture, particularly the New Testament, are where we should default. There's plenty of clear instruction for interaction with the world for the sake of the gospel. Plenty. There's just no question in most cases. You know, in fact, I can't, my brain is not thinking of any time where we should go, gee, how should I speak to this person? Oh, lovingly. Mm-hmm. How should I treat this person? Um, like a neighbor. Yeah. And yeah. if you're now, ask God to guide you. Ask right. the Holy Spirit for the right words. Mm-hmm. You know, how should mm-hmm. I act in this situation? Right. And Not. James tells us that if we pray for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And, and the context of that verse in James, he's talking about wisdom in the, in the midst of trials. It's not just wisdom in general. He's talking about You're wisdom. You're dragged wisdom. up before the courts or yes. um, mm-hmm. in trouble legally or in front of a crowd that are right. trying to, you know, destroy you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if somebody's trying to pin you against a wall figuratively, arguing against the scriptures or the gospels or whatever, that uh, praying for wisdom in that would be good. But even if you can't say, I have an answer for you, you can at least say, I love you and I want to answer your question and I think you deserve one. Um, so I'm going to do what I can to, uh, so let me get back to you on that. Let me do some research and, and I'll buy the next cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. The bottom line is we are called to rightly handle the word of God and we need to be careful that we don't take descriptive episodes of Scripture and make them prescriptive because that can be to our detriment. So, does that it make is, sense, Josh? It does. Yeah, this okay. is a great reminder. And I think it's it's good to, just as Christians, understand that for yourself and also be able to explain that to someone else who's trying to figure out this whole Bible thing mm-hmm. and why is mm-hmm. all this weird stuff in here. And, right. you know, I, I, I remember listening to plenty of shows and stories as kids that 
as a kid that had some kind of a moral. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there was a lot of bad behavior, things you shouldn't do in that, you know, in the story and, you know, the Mm -hmm. negative consequences that came from it. So, you know, you look at a lot of these things that happen, these descriptive passages in scripture. And uh, if you just look at it in isolation, you could maybe make a some kind of a case for, oh, that must be, you know, that biblical uh, hero did this. That mm-hmm. must be what we should do. Right. If you look at the whole story and look at it in context, you can clearly see that there are very negative consequences for that person doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes very explicit consequences, maybe, you know, very destructive. And it's clear that it's a warning mm-hmm. to not do that uh, rather than a permission to do it, for instance. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Seeing something in scripture, I like the way you just said that an episode in scripture doesn't give us permission necessarily to emulate or imitate or duplicate mm-hmm. that uh, thing there. Now, there is one passage of scripture that I have no problem. It's a descriptive passage that I think should be prescriptive. And that's where the young boys were making fun of the prophet Elisha oh, no. for his bald head. And he called out some bears and they mauled those kids. So. Wow. Yep. So. Yep. So you're, you're certain that if someone were to make fun of a bald person, let's say we know someone who's bald, you think that that's an appropriate level of judgment to call down upon them? I think them. so. Okay. Especially if I'm walking alone in, you know, Israel. Sure. And two kids come out of the woods and make fun of me. Sure. And if it's in bear country, you know, why not? Okay. So you're going to preach that next Sunday, right? Uh, no, but I am going to preach in a, from a verse in Leviticus that says that uh, bald men are already clean. Yes. So. Bald men are clean. Yeah. 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 So. What else you got for us, Brian? I've got two Chuck Norris facts for tonight. And uh, first one is Freddy Krueger has nightmares about Chuck Norris. So for those of you youngins who don't know who Freddy Krueger is, he was the main villain in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And- Quick confession, I've actually never watched those. I was too scared. So, Me too. Yep. Yep. The poster um, was scary yeah. <laughs> enough. Yep. And I saw little snippets. Oh, thanks, but no. And then the second one is Chuck Norris once split a man in half by giving him a wedgie. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. You bet. That was good. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great night. See you next time. Living Beyond Your Memes is a production of Truth Love Media and Discipleship DNA. Editing by EC Productions. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in touch with Brian LaCroix at DiscipleshipDNA.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.